what uh, a morning. Every Sunday we, uh, we gather together, and there's always, uh, I hope, joy as the gospel is, uh, is repeated, is renewed, as you're reminded of who God is to you and for you. But, uh, but this morning we have the added joy of receiving new members and uh, bringing a covenant child to the table and baptizing another. Uh, we've got the Bonners with us for the first time, and our children are promoting in Sunday school. Uh, there's a lot going on this morning and a lot to be thankful for. God has richly blessed our congregation. It's appropriate then that as we're working our way through Genesis, we've come to Genesis 13. And Genesis 13 uh, falls in the narrative of Abraham. You may remember, especially if you were with us last week, that, uh, that Abraham, having received the, the promise of the covenant in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And uh, Paul, in the New Testament, tells us that that's a, a proclamation of the gospel, that that blessing that's coming through Abraham is the blessing of a particular offspring, Jesus Christ, who is coming. Uh, Abraham goes from that narrative to the, the faithless act of leaving that promised land in the midst of a famine, going into Egypt, lying about his relationship with Sarah, his wife, allowing her to be taken as a wife by Pharaoh, all of which results in God intervening in Pharaoh's house, cursing Pharaoh and his house until Pharaoh gives Sarah back to Abraham. In the meantime, Abram has been made rich uh, he, he's received the bride price for Sarah, which is not taken back from him. He's sent back to the promised land, and as we'll read in a moment in the opening verses, we find that, that ever since God has called Abraham to leave family and home and city and go to this promised land, Abraham has been made richer and richer and richer under God's blessing. We're going to see this morning this theme in Genesis 13 of blessing everything that we have comes from God, and God gives the greatest gifts. He gives them freely, and, and these gifts are not just the gifts of silver and gold and livestock. Most of us wouldn't have any place to put livestock. I know my HOA won't let me keep livestock, uh, but we're going to see an even greater gift in the text this morning that Abraham receives, and in receiving that gift, we're going to be reminded uh, that the world is not as it seems. But there is a deeper truth, a far more important and eternal truth. Let me read our text this morning, Genesis chapter 13, and uh, I'll pray, and then we'll read the text. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the lessons that are contained in it, even those simple lessons, that as we hear them, we think to ourselves, I know this, uh, I understand this, and yet we need to be reminded of it so frequently. We thank you, Father, that you have designed us and you have built your church in such a way that we are indeed reminded. And so we pray that as we go out from this place this morning that we would remember these things and that we would be in your word and as such your spirit would remind us of these truths, that we would see the world as it is. Father, we know that we are not capable of rightly understanding your word, much less being transformed by it if your spirit is not at work in the reading and preaching of it. And so we pray that you would grant that this morning for our good and your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Hear the reading of God's word, Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. 
So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen's, uh, herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For the land, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this morning, our three points uh, are all about God's generosity. Uh, first, all that we have comes from God. All that we have comes from God. Second, God gives the greatest gifts and freely. God gives the greatest gifts and freely. And third, we must see with the eyes of faith. We must see with the eyes of faith. First, all that we have comes from God. Look at Abram in this passage. He's rich in livestock and silver and gold, we're told there right at the beginning of our passage. In fact, he and Lot together with him, his nephew, have been so blessed that they cannot occupy the same ground in peace. And while we may not herd uh, livestock and graze our livestock and, and have the difficulties that come with such large herds in such a small place, now, many of us have lived in a home together that was too small for the number of people we had in it, even if it was just for a holiday season. Uh, it's crowded, there's friction, and what's best for the peace and the ongoing relationship within the family is for them to spread out. And so they are so overwhelmingly blessed, the two of them together, Abram because he has the promises of God and God is faithfully keeping those promises. Lot because he is among those who bless Abraham. And God said he would bless those who bless Abraham. They are so overwhelmingly blessed by the gifts of the Lord that they, are, they have to spread out. This is the same Abram who left father and family and homeland and came to live in a land that was not his, a land where he was a stranger. 
He comes into this land in a kind of poverty, and God has enriched him throughout, and not only enriched him in terms of livestock and silver and gold, but even those things are sort of temporal illustration of the true blessing that belongs to Abraham, which is the salvation that is promised in and through and for him. That salvation that was expressed, again, in Genesis 12, uh, and is expressed here in this morning's passage. And so in this morning's text, Lot, uh, in separating, takes the best land for himself. You should understand that. The text is, uh, is somewhat clear about that, but if you don't understand the, the promised land, if you don't understand uh, this particular area, it may not be quite as clear. But the valley, the Jordan Valley, as you might imagine, is well watered, as the text says. It is the best place within sight to graze herds. And Lot lifts up his eyes, it says. He sees the valley, and he says, I'll take the Jordan Valley. Uh, Abram doesn't argue with him. Abram doesn't attempt to take first what he desires, but has opened it up to Lot. Lot takes this and moves into that direction. Abram, nonetheless, is better off than Lot because God lifts up Abram's eyes and promises to give everything to him. We're going to come back to that before we're done this morning. God is the giver of all good things. This is because all good things are his to give, and God distributes his gifts as he will. Every good thing that we have comes from God. And so what do we do with this truth that we see in the text this morning? First, we ought to be in the habit of praising and thanking God for the good things he's given us. Husbands and wives need to model this for one another. Parents ought to be modeling this for their children. And children, if you'll listen and and look at me, give me your attention, especially you older children, you should be modeling this for your younger siblings. You should be modeling that thankfulness, that contentment, remembering the good things that you have and remembering aloud together that God is the one who gave those things to you. Brothers and sisters, model this, um, and here I mean us, brothers and sisters, we ought to be modeling this for one another in the church. Elders, we ought to be modeling this in our homes and for the congregation as we shepherd. It's not only right that we give thanks to God, acknowledging that He is the one who has given us these things, but to do so regularly and remind ourselves that all we have comes from Him. Be reminded in that of His goodness his generosity, his extravagance with which he blesses us. We're going to talk later this morning about another thing that we see here in the text, that the world is not as it appears, that there's a a greater truth, a deeper truth about who we are and what is happening in the world and what is right and good and true. One of the ways that we practically engage in life so that we do not forget that the, that the world is not as it appears, is that we regularly acknowledge both the blessings that we have and that they have come from God. And in doing so, we reorient our thoughts. We, we reorient our perspective on the world. We have here, in, not just in chapter 13, but throughout Abram's story, over and over And over again, we are told that what Abram has 
comes to him from God as a blessing. Second, this morning, God gives the greatest gifts and he gives them freely. It's not only true that all that we have is given by God, but also that God gives the greatest gifts and gives them freely. Look at the text. Abraham very generously offers Lot any part of the land that he might want, and Lot takes the best of the land. But God reveals to Abram that it will all be his. All of it will be his. The implication in the descriptions even, uh, is even the part Lot took belongs to Abram. Look at, uh, at later in the chapter here, in beginning in 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever implied based upon the details that we have here in the text is that even that land that Lot has chosen for himself belongs to Abraham. All of it will be given to Abram by God. Even the best. God gave Abraham more than land, though. Look at, uh, again, later in these verses. He says, verse 15, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came to settle, uh, and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Not only do, do we see the promise of land, but also of offspring. And the offspring will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. But we, we cannot make the mistake of stopping there. Those, those are the only two apparent blessings here, land and offspring. But we have to read all of this in the context of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And in fact, not assuming you were all here or that you're all familiar with it, let's look at 12 verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, turn back a page or maybe two and look at 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and honor him who, dis or, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's not just an exchange of, of, uh, of assets. Uh, this is not just God saying, uh, I'll, I'll do this and you do that. This is God entering into a, a relationship with Abram in which that relationship is defined by God's character and the promises that he's making to Abraham. And those promises have at their heart not land, not offspring collectively, but they have at their heart the person and work of Jesus Christ, as Paul teaches us in Galatians. It's in that context that God says to Abram here in chapter 13. He reminds him of the, the land promise and the offspring promise, but at the center of this promise is the gift not only of land and of offspring born to him and in his line, but the gift of a Messiah, the gift of a Savior, the gift, therefore, of salvation 
and fellowship with God forever. The offspring is ultimately a promise of Christ. It's a reiteration of this Abrahamic covenant. God is reminding Abram of the promises that he has made, reminding Abram of who he is and what he will do with and for Abram and his offspring. And what he will do is no less than bless all the earth with the Savior. In a very real sense, God is is giving everything to Abram. It's not even enough for us here to believe that he's giving Abram everything he can see with his physical eyes because the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham is a new heaven and a new earth. That's the gift being given to Abraham and all of his offspring. And we are the offspring of Abraham if we are believing in Jesus Christ and repenting of our sins. God gives the greatest gifts, and he gives them freely. I think it's important for us to stop and remember the context here. Abram receives the call before he's done anything in Genesis 12. And here, here we are are introduced to this particular section of the narrative by being reminded that now, despite what just happened in Egypt with Sarah, Abraham is overwhelmingly blessed with livestock and silver and gold. And now God comes to him and reminds him of the promises that he's made, the rich blessing that belongs to Abraham, not just in worldly things, but ultimately in the promise of a Savior and fellowship with God forever. That's the greatest gift. That's the greatest thing that any of us could have is fellowship with God established by Jesus Christ, our Savior. God gives the greatest gifts, and he gives them freely. Abram Abram didn't just not merit, not deserve this rich, extravagant grace and mercy and blessing of God. He absolutely deserved judgments. It would have been just for us to open up the word this morning and find that in Genesis 13, God says, Abram, because you are such a profound disappointment, the things I told you I was going to do for you, you have forfeit them. And you will receive nothing. Abram has not only not earned the grace of God, this blessing of God, but has positively acted in such a way that he has demonstrated that he deserves the opposite. And yet God freely gives to him the greatest gift that any of us could possibly come into the possession of. God gives the greatest gifts and he gives them freely. Abram was a specific man in history And and God was doing a particular work of redemption in the world with and through Abram. But Abram's also a model for each of us. Not in as much as he's a, he's not a model the way we might take, uh, you know, Daniel and hold him up as a model uh, or or some other uh, instances in scripture where we see the, the people of God doing 
amazing, faithful things. He's a model for us in as much as God made promises to him that he did not deserve. And despite the fact that those promises had been made and Abraham did not live a life of perfect righteousness, and yet God kept his promises to Abraham, that's a model for us. Here's what I want you to see this morning. If you're living your life in such a way that you, you know that you are a sinner, not just generally some theological proposition, I'm pretty sure it says something in the Westminster Confession about it, I mean you know yourself to be a sinner, and you grieve at that sin, and you find yourself at times wondering, how could God love me? How could I be one that God is saving when I, I think these things and I do these things? Listen, I, I know we don't mean it when we think this way, but that kind of thinking presumes that you earned it in the first place. You did not earn it. God gave it freely because he loves you. Now, he gives it to those uh, that he loves, and, and in that relationship of God giving these things to us, we who know this God love him and obey him. Certainly not perfectly. We struggle, as Paul again in Galatians describes in Galatians 5, as we, the spirit and the flesh are at war with one another, but they are at war. Who is this Abraham in chapter 13, to whom God renews these promises? He's the Abraham who, on the one hand, just did this absurd thing in Egypt, and on the other, comes back to the promised land, verse 4, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Abram doesn't get these promises because he's perfect. He doesn't get these promises because having heard them from God, he goes, I totally get it. I'm going to just live my life with abandon and not worry about anything anymore because you've made these promises. No, Abram has not only just failed in chapter 12, he's going to fail again. Abram is human. We are human. We, though we know God and are trusting in Christ and repenting of our sins, we nonetheless fail, we sin, and we repent again, and we grieve, and we look forward to the day that Christ is coming back. And through it all, we have the promises of a God who says to us, I give freely and extravagantly and without requiring of you perfection. You are mine, and I have met all of the terms. You say, how can God see me in my sin and still love me and bless me as though I was worthy of it? It's because of the man, Jesus Christ, the offspring that is promised here to Abram. In that offspring who was perfect, Jesus Christ, who kept the law without fail, who did obediently everything that his father sent him to accomplish. Because of that, God looks at Christ. He looks at Christ's perfect righteousness and those of us who are trusting in Christ, who, who know that he is the son of God who came to save sinners and we are trusting and resting in that person and that work. When he looks at us, it's Christ's perfect righteousness that he sees. This is a gift. This is a blessing. It is the most extravagant, greatest, 
blessing that has ever been bestowed on anyone. And we don't just read about it in the text here being bestowed on Abraham. Brothers and sisters, this is why the New Testament is so determined to communicate to you that if you trust in Christ, you are a child of Abraham. Why? Because these promises are for you and for your children, God says. We are those to whom these promises have been made. We are those who have the greatest blessing that can be bestowed on anyone in all of the world and in all of history. And so, be encouraged. Right now it looks like the world has better things than we do. The psalmists and the authors of the Proverbs acknowledge that the wicked often seem to be doing better in the world than the righteous. In the Song of Solomon, or not the Song of Solomon, totally different subject. In Ecclesiastes, right? Very different books. In Ecclesiastes, the whole theme of the book is basically, none of this seems to matter. No matter what I do, there's suffering in the world, so why bother doing anything? That's how the world appears. In our sinful flesh, we desire things that are sinful that we cannot have. Sometimes it's not sinful desires. For sinful things, it's just the recognition that there's something there that we want and we can't have it. And it's easy in this world to look around and say the children of the world are better off than the children of God. But we have to, to move through this world remembering that what God has given us is greater. That while it may appear as though, to use some of the, the Old Testament uh, wisdom literature language, while it may appear as though the rest of the world is fat and happy and we are starving and dying, that the rest of the world is dying apart from God and we possess the greatest gift that God can give and does give. So we ought to be encouraged we ought to be content with what God has given us now and with the promises that he has made for the future. The Lord gives the greatest gifts and he gives them freely. Finally, this morning, we must see with the eyes of faith. I think it's one of my favorite elements in this passage, uh, the way that Moses, the author of it, has, has written the passage using this, this imagery of lifting up the eyes. Look at what it says about Lot. Abram says to Lot, look, it's probably best if we go our separate ways, right? We're family. We shouldn't be fighting. Let's spread out a little bit. Uh, look, take whatever you, you think is best. Wherever you go, I'll go the other direction. Look at what it says about Lot, verse 11. So Lot chose for himself, oh, I'm down too far, verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. Look at what, what happens with Abram, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. We, what we, we have here in these, these particular details, Lot lifts up his own eyes. Lot looks upon the land with the eyes of the world. Lot sees only in his looking what is apparent in the world, and he 
reasonably chooses the best land for his flocks and herds. It would appear as though, from the world's perspective, Lot gets the better deal here. But the passage isn't done. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes. Abram doesn't lift up his own eyes. Abram doesn't look at the world as it is, but his eyes are lifted up by God and he has shown the world for what it truly is. Because look at what he says. There's this, this sort of physical sense, right? Lift up your eyes and look. But what does he tell him to see? From the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. This is the world as it really is. It belongs to God and he gives it to his people. Sometimes it's difficult to be content in this world, difficult to be thankful, difficult to be encouraged, because we insist on seeing the world as it appears, rather than as it truly is. By giving us his word, God is effectively saying to each one of us, his children, lift up your eyes and look. We, we live in this world where uh, apart from God, apart from his word and his spirit, we have nothing but the eyes of the world with which to look and to see and to understand and to move through this world. But God says to us, come, come away from that viewing. Take up my word and by my spirit, I will show you what the world really looks like. I will show you what is true about the world. <clears throat> By giving us his word, God is effectively saying to each one of us as children, lift up your eyes and look. What God showed Abram was not yet reality, but it was a promise. And it was a promise rooted in the fact that everything belongs to God. It is all his to give to whom he will, when he will, and how he will. And Abram, I love the, the, this little detail, Abram's called to walk in that promise. Having been, said, uh, having been told to lift up his eyes and to look, having been told that everything is going to be his, God says, arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. What a blessing that God has shown us his promises, that he's given us the eyes of faith. This itself is a gift, going all the way back to our first point. We should be thankful that God has done this. We should be content with this gift. We're called to walk in this world according to this truth. God not only says to us, as he said to Abraham, lift up your eyes and look. He has said to us, as he said to Abraham, all of this will be given to you. And he has said to us, as he said to Abraham, walk through the land. We're called to walk in this world with eyes of faith. This means that as we go through the world, not everything is as it appears. Everyone around you who does not know God, does not know Christ, is living in this world according to the appearance of things. Like Lot, they lift up their eyes 
and see only what their limited perspective can take in. And because we live among them, we all too often adopt their perspective. I mean, let's step back for a second. Wouldn't it have been easy at this point for Abram to have said to Lot or to have said to God, I thought we had something worked out here where I was the one who was going to be blessed. Uh, Lot, I know I said take whatever you like, but that's, that's mine because God gave that to me. You can't have that. I am going to to do this according to what looks to me to be the right thing. The author of Hebrews gives us this fantastic insight into Abram. Do you know what Abram was looking for? Do you know why Abram can say to Lot, go wherever you choose, take whatever you want, I'll take whatever's left over? It's because the author of Hebrews says Abram was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Abram knows the promises of God. He sees the world as it is according to God's word. We have better eyes than the eyes of the world, eyes that can see the truth, eyes that can see the world as it really is, not because we're smarter, not because we are morally better, but because we belong to God and he has given us his spirit and he has given us his word and that spirit is at work in the reading and the preaching of the word. If you have trouble seeing things with the eyes of faith, more time in the word, more time in prayer are what are prescribed for you. This is how we get eyes of faith. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that your sin will keep God from blessing you? The perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is yours, and all the blessings of the Father are yours in Him. Let me be clear. God will temporally discipline those He loves. There there are consequences for our sin in which God shapes us and grows us, communicates to us in very particular ways in the middle of our sin, that this is wrong and this is not who you are and this is not how you are to live. But on the last day, in Christ, God sees perfect righteousness. Does it seem at times as if the world is better off than God's people? Like Lot seemed to be better off than Abram in today's passage. Take up the word of God and in prayer seek him. Call upon the name of the Lord and he will tell you, to lift up your eyes and look, and he will show you in his word the truth about the world in which we live and move. Let's recognize where our blessings have come from. Let's be content in those blessings and thankful. Uh, Take encouragement in the goodness of God in Christ and regularly practice the art of seeing the world as God has revealed it to us by his word and spirit. Uh, We are those who have the greatest blessings in the world. Let's pray.